0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from a recent message given by our pastor, Dennis Fountain. We hope that this sermon is a blessing to you and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Amen, you can go ahead and be seated. I wanna start by asking you this morning, if you would willingly admit If you would willingly admit that at one point in your life, you have been, like me, you've been stubborn. How many of you have one time in your life that you can admit? Now, some of you are like hitting your spouse. You're like, raise your hand. You're stubborn every day. Listen, every one of us, every one of us, we probably go through times where we are just stubborn. But can you remember maybe a specific time when you tried to handle a situation on your own? Maybe when you were a kid or a teenager, you probably tried to handle something on your own when you should have got your mom and dad's help. I remember specifically, maybe one time, there's probably hundreds of times, but two that I'm gonna tell you about this morning. One, I, was, I think I was 10 years old. And I think my mom and I had maybe gotten a little bit of an argument or something like that. And You know, could you imagine me and my mom arguing? We don't argue at all. We have a great relationship. But we got in an argument and I determined that I was gonna run away from home. And my mom said, I'll pack your bags. (laughs) Thanks a lot, mom. And I remember I got my my bag and I got my little huffy bike and I I, I was gonna conquer the world by myself. And I remember I hopped on that bike and I sped down the road and I was riding, pedaling as fast as my little legs would go and I turned the corner right into a parked car. (laughs) And at that moment, I had to make a decision, go above the car or go under the car. Well, at that time I was still skinny, kind of like I am right now. (laughs) Why do you laugh? At that time I was still small. And so I thought, well, I could probably wedge underneath and not get hurt. I was wrong. I ditched my bike and I skid underneath that car and my whole left side of my leg was just a bloody mess. My jeans were ripped, my bike tires were flat. I mean, it was scraped up. My running away uh, experience had not gone very well. And I got up and instead of going home, I went to Bobby's house. Bobby was the other 10 year old that lived across the street from me. I rode over to Bobby, I hobbled over to Bobby's house and I knocked on the door and Bobby answered. I said, Bobby, I need you to help me. And he's like, oh, go to your mom. I'm like, no, I'm running from my mom. I'm not going to my mom. And I remember his mom kind of bandaging me up and then walking me home and my parents thinking, why didn't you just come to me? Maybe you have a time like that. Or perhaps yours is with friends. When you tried to cover something up, and it would have been better for you just to tell mom and dad. It's not a surprise. Of course, Daniel and I, we grew up together, and there was a time that we remember, and I've confirmed this with him to make sure that we can remember the same thing. There was me and him and another friend of ours. His name was Eric, and we decided in the church that we were growing up in that we were gonna have wheelchair races. Now, we didn't, Dave, we didn't have automatic wheelchairs like yours. I wish I would have, because I would have won every time. But we decided to push each other. And so the three of us, I think we maybe had uh, one or two wheelchairs. And so we began to go up and down the aisles of the church. And what they had just done at our church building is they had built in the back of the, we had a huge auditorium. They built two little rooms that you could use as classrooms. They had just finished them. Well, before when we had wheelchair races, you didn't have to avoid walls. You know, I mean, come on, who puts walls in an auditorium? That's good for wheelchair races. So we got going on these wheelchairs and we, as you guessed it, Eric put a hole in the wall. We'll blame it on Eric. And we were like, oh, we are dead. You see, there was this maintenance guy. His name was Vince. Vince was a killer. Like legit, he was a killer, I think. I mean, he had a rough past, but Vince was the maintenance guy. And we were like, Vince, we are dead. We're going to die. And so we, as like fifth and sixth graders, we had a wonderful thing. You couldn't put a plant in front of it because that was right in the, walk, rock, walk, bleh, 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 the walkway. That'd be obvious. So what we did is we took, I mean, the wall was white. You take white paper. <laughs> and you take clear scotch tape. It'll work. You put white paper, white poster board over it, and then you take clear scotch tape and you go around all the edges and you patch up the holes and then you leave. (laughs) That's what I learned. Flee the scene. (laughs) Don't get caught. It didn't work out, just so you know. (laughs) Because about 10 minutes later, we heard, Dennis, Daniel, Eric. And we were like, Vince about to kill us. And we got away, but Vince, he came, he, he came to us and I remember we got a lecture up one side and down another. And after the whole situation, my dad, being a gracious man, he said, Dennis, you know Vince is gonna kill you. Why didn't you just, Dennis, why didn't you just come to me? Was it an accident? Yeah, dad, it was an accident. Why didn't you just turn to me? Dennis, why didn't you Just look to me. You know what? Every one of us probably have situations when we turned to or looked to the wrong source. Or maybe it was like me and Bobby, I turned to somebody that was really unreliable and unqualified to be turned to. As you and I come to Hebrews chapter number 12, what we find the writer giving to us is the challenge of this. Hey, you need to understand that in your life, You have an option to turn to a bunch of other things or you can turn to Jesus. That's what we read about in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number two, looking unto Jesus, turning unto Jesus. Why? Because he is the author and the finisher of your faith. Hey, you can turn to Jesus. Well, why would I wanna do that? This morning, I wanna help us understand that it's important that we be encouraged or challenged to turn to Jesus for a couple of things. First of all, today, I wanna encourage you that we're going to turn to Jesus or look to Jesus for what's called salvation. You and I should be looking to Jesus for salvation, looking unto Jesus for salvation. Notice with me verse number two. If you go to our passage, Hebrews 12, two, you read this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. As the author writes, he challenges the reader. Hey, listen, you need to turn your eyes upon Jesus. You need to look to Jesus and the sacrifice that he made. Now, the reason that this is so important is because of this simple truth, and, and don't miss it today, because this is the word of God. This isn't Pastor Dennis's words. This is what the Bible teaches, and we're going to see it. The reason that we need to turn to Jesus for salvation is because the cross the death, the burial, and the resurrection, that was done so that you and I could look to Jesus for forgiveness and for salvation and eternity in heaven. You see, it was not just some, some prophet that lived that was named Jesus. It wasn't just some good man that was named Jesus. No, Jesus was and is the son of God that came to this earth, that lived a perfect life, and then went to the cross for you and for me. I want you to look at the verse and notice what it says. It says that Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Endured the cross. The word endure, it means to bear bravely or to not recede or flee from. So Jesus did not flee from the cross. He despised the shame, despising the shame. He looked down upon the ridicule. See, you and I right now, I mean, we think about our culture and there's a lot of people that they'll wear a little cross necklace around their neck or they'll have a little cross logo on their car. But back then, the cross wasn't something good to be looked upon. No, the cross was for thieves and the cross was was for people that were shameful. And the cross was for people that were murderers. And the cross was for the worst of the worst. And yet Jesus, he went to the cross. He did not flee from the cross. He despised the shame. He said, hey, the shame of the cross means nothing to me. But it says that he did it for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? It was for you and for me. The joy that was set before him is knowing the victory that would come because of the cross. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I don't really understand the cross. I mean, why is it so important? What is it that took place upon the cross? Let's review very quickly. The Bible tells us that Jesus, he lived 33 years upon this earth and he performed many, many miracles as we saw uh, portrayed in videos a few moments ago, that Jesus healed the sick and the blind and the lame and even raised the dead. Jesus accomplished a lot during his earthly ministry as a perfect man who never ever sinned. And yet, At the end of those 33 years, one of his own disciples, Judas Iscariot, betrayed him and sold him to the chief priests. The reason the chief priests were so against him is because of their jealousy. You see, they were the chief priests. They were the religious leaders. They were the people that they were uh, classified themselves as being the closest to God because of their religion. You see, they said, well, what we do makes us close to God. My friend, you cannot be further from the truth than thinking that because there is nothing that you and I can do that would bring us close to God. And yet that's what the Pharisees thought, the chief priests thought. And Mark 15, 10 tells us he knew that the chief, this is Pontius Pilate, knew that the chief priests had delivered Jesus for envy. They were envious, they were jealous. And so they delivered him to Pontius Pilate. Well, it's during this time then that Jesus would go and stand trial. And you've probably heard the story of Mark chapter 15, verse 12 through 14 of what took place next, that Pilate answered and said to the people again, what will ye then that I shall do unto him that ye call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And then Pilate said unto them, why, what evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, crucify him. Here's an innocent man and Barabbas, or Pilate, trying to give them opportunity to set Jesus free, and yet the people for envy cried out, Crucify him. Following that, Jesus would undergo a so called trial. But during that trial, he would be mercilessly beaten. The Bible says in Matthew 27 26 that. They released Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. What took place that night is Jesus would be transported from the garden to uh, the chief priest's house and then to Pontius Pilate and then to another religious leader's house and then back to Pontius Pilate. And Jesus would actually go to one area where he would be uh, beaten and lowered down in, through this hole. I've, I've been there in Israel just last year and he'd be lowered down into this hole in a little uh, prison cell where you can look at a picture like this that would uh, be the area that Jesus kind of spent some time that night. And they would strap him to those uh, leather uh, bands right up there and they would stretch Jesus out and then they, those Roman soldiers who uh, it was their livelihood, they were experts at scourging or beating people. They would take a, a cat of nine tails, a, a very uh, heavy leather bound whip that had nine different straps to it with glass and bone and, and shards of rock on that and they would take that literally and they would beat Jesus Christ, this innocent man who had only done good to people, only taught truth to people, and they would beat him until he was just a bloody mess. Then they would take him and they would throw him down into this this holding cell. And now there's a little podium down there and people can go down and, and pray and read some Psalms, but they would deliver Jesus down here. And then he would come up again and go stand before Pontius Pilate and, and they would beat him again. And the Bible tells us that they would mock him. And eventually the Bible says this, and in Matthew 26, it says they did this. They looked at Jesus, they bound him, they blindfolded him, and one of them said, what think ye? And they answered and said, he is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him or beat him continuously, and others smote him with the palm of their hands, saying, prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is it that smote thee? They blindfolded him and began to just punch him and say, hey, if you're Christ, if, you're the, if you are the all-knowing God, then who hit you? Just mocking him. Then they would take a crown of thorns like we see here the, from the thorns of en They would take these thorns and the Bible says that they stripped him and put on him a, a scarlet robe. And when they had plated a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head. They would drive the thorns into his head and a, a reed in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And yet the Bible tells us that he, endured the cross. He didn't flee. They would take him then and then, and they would take him to the hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull. They would march him up this hill, and it is upon this hill that Jesus Christ would not be forced to lay his life down. No, my friend, he willingly lay his life down. He said, I give my life. I lay it down. No man taketh it from me. I lay it down and I will take it up again unto myself. Jesus was not forced. You see, the other prisoners that would be uh, crucified, they would have to be held down and screaming, no! And Jesus, he willingly laid down and stretched out his arms. The Bible says he endured the cross. Pastor, why why would Jesus endure the cross? Can I give you the answer? This morning, how many of you looked in a mirror? How many of you did that this morning? Some of you, I can tell you didn't, but I'm not gonna talk about you this morning. I'm teasing. You look in a mirror, can I tell you that every time you look in a mirror, you're staring at the reason why Jesus did it? You see, he did it for you, Romans chapter five and verse number eight, it says, but God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, in the midst of our sin, Christ died for us. And on that cross, Jesus took every single sin that mankind would commit, every single lie, every single thought, every single word, every single murder, every single action of adultery, every single theft, every single gossip, every single sin went on Jesus on that day. And the word of God says it this way in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, you listen to it, it says, for he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. He put sin on him, why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, when we are born, we are broken, we are born broken, and with a broken relationship, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I joke about our kids, and you if you have children here, then you'll get this completely. You don't have to teach a child how to sin. <laughs> Dennis, stand up for me, would you, real quick? This is our, my son, Dennis. Dennis is 13. You know what, I, Dennis, I'm gonna ask you a question. Did I ever sit you down and say, this is how you tell a lie? no but did you know how to lie? You sinner. Man, you, wit- you know what? Every one of us are that. Every one of us, we're born sinners. Thanks, buddy. you did good. Good job answering the question. We're, we're born sinners. We're born with a broken relationship with God, and the truth is this, that had Jesus not died on the cross, there is no hope. Had he not died and been risen again from the dead, what we celebrate today and we'll look at in a moment, there is no hope because when you look in the mirror, you look at the reason that Jesus Christ died. He's on the cross and while Jesus is on the cross, the Bible says that when when he had received uh, the vinegar, they tried to give it as like a little pain suppressant and he cried out these words, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The word it is finished comes from the Greek word tetelestai. The word tetelestai, it's a phrase that would be used by various people in those days. A a servant would say it when they've completed a task. An artist or an author would say it when they had completed their painting or their writing. Merchants would say it when a payment was made in full. And Jesus on that cross, he said, it is finished. And why did he say that? He said that because he knew that his sacrifice could bring forgiveness. Well, what happened after that? John 19 tells us a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, he besought or went to Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave, okay, go get the body. And he came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And they would prepare that body for the burial. They would take Jesus and they would put him in a tomb. When Jesus would go inside of that tomb, he's dead. He's lifeless. The disciples are wondering, was he really the Messiah? Was he really the promised one? We thought for sure that he was going to overthrow the rule of Rome. We thought for sure that he was going to bring deliverance, and yet they didn't understand that he brought deliverance, just not the way they thought. And they put that body in the cold, dark ground for three days and three nights. And then you come to Romans, or excuse me, to Matthew in chapter number 28. Matthew chapter number 28, verse one through eight. It tells us this. It says, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Sunday, that came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher, the burial site. And behold, there was a great earthquake and uh, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and set upon it. His countenance, it was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye. "'For I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. "'He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. "'Come see the place where the Lord lay, "'and go quickly and tell his disciples "'that he is risen from the dead.'" Verse eight says, and they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run and bring his disciples word. You see, the truth of the matter is this. There are a lot of graves that are famous for a lot of people. You can go and you can, I've been uh, to Washington DC and to Arlington and I've seen the, the, the tombstones and the tomb of the unknown soldier and some great uh, men of valor that have defended our country and people here have maybe been uh, to some of the shrines in, in India, committed to the Buddhist temple or the Buddhist priests, and maybe uh, some have been to the uh, burial place of Muhammad. And can I tell you, friend, all of those places, they're famous for what's on the inside, what's in them. Jesus' tomb is famous for what's not in them. You see, the garden tomb of Jesus Christ, I was just there in November. It's still empty. There's no one in there. The, the stone is still rolled away the place where Jesus body would have lay it, it is still it is still empty there's not a body there anymore you say, why? Because Jesus rose again to prove that he was God, to prove that he could conquer death in the grave, to prove that he is the only one that can bring forgiveness. And my friend, I, be- I want you to understand something this morning that you and I, we can believe that because the word of God says it, but not only the word of God says it, history validates that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There are people like Josephus and others that wrote about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And you and I, we can understand that We don't need all of that, but it helps because we can understand the word of God says it and history confirms it. Why did Jesus do that? He did it to show you. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through Jesus Christ. And my friend, he did all of this so that you could know that he can forgive sins, so that you can know that he can restore our relationship with God. And the word of God declares for us, that he taught on this earth for 40 more days and spent time with disciples and then he ascended up into heaven and it tells us that one day he is coming back again. And one day Jesus will come and those people who know him as their personal savior, they will spend eternity with him in heaven. My friend, I want you to understand this morning that Jesus endured the cross. Why did he endure the cross? For you. He did it to offer you forgiveness. He did it to prove to you that he is the only one that can give you forgiveness. We talked a moment ago about looking unto Jesus for salvation. I want to ask you, have you looked to Jesus for salvation? What have you turned to to bring you forgiveness? What have you looked to to bring you restoration with God? You see, a lot of people, they turn to a church. Here you are on Sunday morning at church. Can I tell you this morning, Great job. Praise the Lord. I'm glad you're here, but being at church does not get you into heaven. Well, Pastor Dennis, you really don't know me, but I mean, I'm not that bad of a person. You may be not that bad of a person, but if the Bible says, if you've done one sin, it's just like doing all, and you're just as separated from God. Well, but I try. I'm a good person. Can I go to heaven for my good works? No, we cannot go to heaven for our good works. Well, I've been baptized. I've been baptized. I've gone under the water. I was sprinkled as a kid. Can, Can I go to heaven because of that? No, my friend, that does not get you to heaven. The only thing that brings you forgiveness, restoration to God, and eternity in heaven is having a time when you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and to be your savior. I want to ask you this question. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your savior? Have you looked to him for salvation? If you haven't, can I just help you understand that today would be a great day to do that? I want to do this this morning. In a few moments, in a few moments, we're going to have what we call an invitation. That's where people can come and pray or pray in their chair so, we're going to do that in a few moments, but even before we do that, before I preach the end of this message, I want to tell you that if you're here and you don't know that you've ever asked Jesus Christ into your life to be your Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do it right where you're seated. And if you understand what I just spoke about, if you understand that you're a sinner, and that Jesus died to pay the payment for your sins, and that the only way you can go to heaven is by asking him to forgive you of your sin and to be your savior. If that's something that you understand and you wanna receive Christ, you could do it right where you're seated. I wanna do this just for a moment. I wanna have every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment, every head bowed and every eye closed, because I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. Now, if this doesn't make sense to you and you wanna know more, then in a few moments, we'll have that invitation. I'll invite you to come and we'll take a Bible and show you more about knowing you're going to heaven. But if this made sense to you and you want to ask Jesus to be your savior, I wanna give you that opportunity right now. And so you say, well, what do I do? What do I do to ask Jesus to be my savior? Listen, the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, that we'll be saved. All we have to do is ask Jesus to forgive us of our sin, to come into our life and to save us. And if you're here right now, no one's looking around, and you want to receive Jesus Christ into your life, you could pray something like this. If you want to ask Jesus into your life, you could pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner before you, and I know that I can't earn my way to heaven. I also believe that you died on the cross for me and rose again. And Jesus, right now I'm asking you to forgive my sin and to come into my life and save me. Jesus, I'm putting my faith and trust in you as my savior. I'm asking you to come into my life and take me to heaven. Now again, with every head bowed and every eye closed, it's not that prayer that saves you, it's confessing what you believe in your heart. Asking Jesus, dear God, I know that I've sinned before you and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and to come into my life and be my savior. Now before we look up and continue the last part of our message, if today, if just now, if you prayed that and you said just now I just asked Jesus into my life and I meant it, I ask Jesus to forgive me of my sin and be my savior. If that's something, a decision that you just made, would you slip your hand right up and right back down? I'm not gonna call you by name. I just wanna praise the Lord with you. Just right up and right back down. You say, Pastor Dennis, I just received Jesus as my savior. Right up and right back down. Pastor Dennis, I just made that decision. I asked Jesus into my life just now. Thank you, thank you. Somebody else? Pastor, Pastor, uh, praise the Lord. I just received Jesus into my life. Now, if that's a decision that you, might, you just made, that's the best decision you could ever make, asking Jesus to forgive you of your sin and be your savior. Thank you for giving them privacy. Would you look back up here just for a moment? I wanna give you real quick, just one last thought today. Verse number three helps us understand, or verse number two helps us see to look to Jesus for salvation. Verse number three gives us the encouragement to look to Jesus for stability, look to Jesus for stability. Notice what verse number three says in Hebrews chapter number twelve. It says, "For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds." Can I just tell you right now that this old world can be tiring, frustrating, and lonely, can it? Man, we we live. My wife and I were speaking this week, and uh, I tell you what, we live in a broken world. We live in a broken place and it's not hard to admit that there is brokenness and that there is hurt and that there is hopelessness as we spoke about just a moment ago. And really there are some things that could almost push a person to just throw up their hands and say, forget it. I just get discouraged and frustrated, and I get what the verse says wearied and faint in my mind. And can I tell you, for those of you that do know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know for sure that you're going to heaven. This is an easy place to be at. Where you go, God, life is hard. What am I doing here? Forget it. Forget God. Forget church. Forget the Bible. Just forget it. You know what's happening is we become weary and we faint in our minds. What should I do when I become weary and faint in my mind? The Bible says this, consider him. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. That means to, considering him means to focus my thoughts upon him, focusing my mind upon him, remembering that he endured such contradiction of sinners. Do you understand what that means, that contradiction of sinners? It means this, that Jesus literally, he allowed the enemy to persecute and beat him, and he endured it. He did not flee from it. Those of you parents here, how many of you wrestle with your kids before? You wrestle. Man, I'll wrestle with my boys, and you know, it's starting to get to the point where when all three of them come after me, when all three of the kids, Dennis, Lena, and Mike, when all three of them come after me, it's starting to get to the point that they can almost, almost hold me down. Not for very long, but they can do it and at least get a, a punch in or something like that. You know what? <clears throat> if we were to wrestle, I would wrestle with Dennis or Micah, and I were to just let them wallop me. And, and they, they pin me and and take me out. Dad can still take them. I can still take them. Don't you know that? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You better remember. I can still, some of you parents are looking at your kids like, you hear that? That's from the pastor. (laughs) Listen, I can still take him. But if I let him beat me and I let him do it, that's a small picture of what Jesus did, contradiction of sinners. He let those that he had authority over, he let those that he could very easily have dominated, he let them put him on that cross. He endured the contradiction of sinners. He endured the enemy taking him out. Here's what the Bible says. Hey, when you get discouraged in this life, why don't you stop and look to what Jesus did? Turn your focus back to him. You know what what we do so often is we turn our eyes to so many things. We want to, we want to look for a relationship to sustain us and give us st- stability. We want to look to maybe a a friendship to sustain us and give us stability. We want to look to maybe our job to find that strength and stability. We want to look, maybe it's, it's to a hobby or something that we like to do, or maybe it's a paycheck, or maybe it's a counselor, or maybe it's some sort of medication that we like to look to that to bring stability into our life. Maybe it's, uh, something like some old habits or an old sinful life or, or, uh, some old addiction of some sort that people turn to to try to find strength and stability. And here's what we're challenged to in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number three. Don't look to those things. That's like me and Dan looking to a paper to cover up a hole in the wall. When I should have just said, dad, I need your help. Dad, I need your help on this one. Dad, would you provide the wisdom for me on this? Dad, would you help us through this situation? That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to turn to him and say, Heavenly Father, I have been trying on my own to get through this life, and God, I turn to you. I'm going to consider you today. I'm going to look to you for stability. Proverbs chapter 3 in verse 5 and 6 it says this, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. You know what this morning I'm going to tell you that if you've ever played sports, then you understand this concept. If you've ever played sports, where you're looking is the direction you're going. If you've driven a car, where you're looking is the direction you're going. Hey, what's that over there? (laughs) Where you're looking is where you're going. Here's the verses this morning. Where you're looking sets your direction. And if you look to Jesus for salvation, your eternity's in heaven. But don't stop there. Look to Jesus for stability every day. And so I close with the same question we opened with. Are you looking to Jesus? Have you looked to him for salvation? Have you looked to him for stability? Now we're gonna have an invitation time. I invite you with your heads bowed and eyes closed as we come, and this is gonna be a time where people can come and pray at the altar or pray there in your chair. I wanna ask two questions for you this morning for you to answer right in your chair, and I'm not gonna call you by name, but I would like to pray for you today. If you're here and you'd say, Pastor, I know I've received Jesus as my savior. I know that I've made that decision. Before today, I made that decision. If that's you, pastor, I've made the decision. I've already received Christ as my savior. Would you slip your hand right up and right back down? Pastor, I've made that decision before. Praise the Lord, I wanna challenge you. Will you make the decision today to look to him for stability? To look to him for stability? And maybe you're here this morning though and you could not raise your hand for that. You don't know that you've asked Jesus to be your savior. If that's you today and you'd say, pastor, I haven't asked Jesus Christ into my life. I don't know that heaven is where I'll spend eternity. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I would like to pray for you. Pastor, would you pray for me? I don't know if I'm going to heaven when I die. Would you slip your hand right up and right back down? Pastor, would you pray for me? Just right up and right back down. If that's you this morning, listen, you could make the decision to ask Jesus into your life today. You could ask him right where you're seated to come into your life. But wherever you're at this morning, I wanna encourage you, if God's spoken to you, let's respond to him today. Let's ask him to help us to have that stability and go to him for strength. Dear Lord, thank you for the day. I pray that you'd bless our invitation time. Help us, Lord. There are still those in here that don't know they're going to heaven. I pray that today would be the day that they come to know you as Savior. And God, bless our invitation. Help us to turn to you for strength, not to turn to other things, but understand that when we look to you and what you did on the cross, that we receive strength. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.